uh, Judges chapter 17 and 18. Micah and his idolatry. Now let me give you some background here because it's important. There, Samson is the last judge. The next judge or the next ruler uh, will be Samuel. And that's not till after Ruth. But Samson was Israel's final judge. And so from now, uh, Judges 17, uh, chapter 17 to chapter 21, it's not in chronological order concerning the judges. Historically, we know Samson uh, is the last judge, chapters 13 through 16. The remaining chapters in Judges are called the appendix uh, to the book of Judges. In other words, what else happened in the book of Judges that was not covered in depth? Here in chapters 17 through 21, examining Israel's moral decay. Israel's moral decay. During the period of the Judges, or we estimate there were 12 Judges. Here we will study the moral Corruptness of God's people, Israel, and their lack of consciousness of God as their king. Uh, we will see that it will take us as far back as Joshua. Uh, let us remind ourselves as a nation, look how far the United States of America has come since the ships landed in the New England states, as we know, uh, back in the 1700s when the people escaped England for freedom of religion. And look where we're heading. This was the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel uh, were God's people, the apple of God's eye. They were his nation. I mean, the city of David. Jerusalem was his. And so quick uh, they falter. So quick they go back to idolatry that they learned. There in Egypt after 400 plus years of bondage. But look at our United States of America. I want you to write down these notes. In 1962, we took prayer out of the public schools. Look what's happened since. A year later, in 1963, the Bible was taken out of the public schools. And we wonder why the problems. And so when the nation of Israel doesn't want God anymore, God says, Okay, that's what you want. That's what you're going to get. The United States of America, you don't want God anymore? Then you're going to get what's coming. The only thing that's holding up our, our great country is the church. I truly believe that. But the Bible says when the rapture of the church takes place, the Holy Spirit is not going to be effective anymore. Well, the Holy Spirit will be there. But think about it. The church is gone. And once the church is removed, then that which uh, is, is considered evil, which is the Antichrist, and the seven years of tribulation, and then it, that'll begin. Because that which is hindering, according to 2 Thessalonians, is the Holy Spirit, the church that's in, that the Holy Spirit is in. Once the harpazo takes place, or the rapture of the church, I believe that all hell will break loose on planet Earth. You've studied the book of Revelation. There's 21 judgments that are coming. And those 21 judgments get harder and harder and harder. And yet man still doesn't want to listen. Now, let's get into this. I want to give you a little bit of background on Micah. Micah in the Hebrew, who is like Jehovah. A man of Mount Ephraim, uh, who lived probably in the time of the elders who survived after Joshua, about 1360 B.C. He had stolen, listen to this, 1,100 shekels of silver from his mother. We're going to see that in the first few verses. But impelled by fear of her curse, she cursed her own son. He had confessed and restored the money. Thereupon, she put 200 shekels into a goldsmith's hand to make an image or images for the idolatrous establishment set up by Micah. These are God's people. At first, Micah installed one of his own sons as a priest, but afterward appointed a wandering Levite named Jonathan at a yearly salary. We're going to see that in Judges 17. 
when the Danites, this is the tribe of Dan, were on their journey northward to settle in Laish, they took away both the establishment and the priest of Micah. These guys stole the images. And so they continue with this. <laughs> it's interesting how you read this. And this is God's people. They knew better than this. It goes on, who upon overtaking the Danite army found it too powerful for him to attack and return to his home. And that will pick up in Judges chapter 18. Uh, Micah actually goes after him with a group of men because he wants his figurines back. He wants his idols back. And God forbid idol worship. We're going to look at Exodus chapter uh, 20, the first couple of verses there. And how could they go back so easily? Now, remember this. We, we always suggest, well, Pastor Bob, I don't have an idol at my house. I got rid of all my idols when I came to know Jesus, when I came to the born-again experience. But an idol, listen to this, is anything that takes the place of God. An idol is anything that takes the place of God. And so we might boast, I don't have any idols. We might boast, I got rid of all my crucifix with a Jesus on it. Now the crucifix I have are empty. I don't have the picture of Jesus on the wall anymore. But anything that takes the place of God becomes my idol. Micah did not erect idols for Moloch or for Mammon. He did not erect Idols for anything in particular. It was to remember who God is. And yet he wasn't supposed to do that either. So let's begin here in Judges chapter 17. Micah's idolatry in verse 1. Now there was a man from the mountains of Ephraim uh, whose name was Micah. And he said to his mother, it's a time of confession here. The 1100 shekels of silver that were taken from you and on which you put a curse even saying, in my ears, here is the silver with me. I took it. And his mother said, now listen to her phrase. May you be blessed by the Lord, my son. He stole the money. And here's her reaction. May you be blessed, my son. Now, that's a natural response from a parent. My son, my daughter can't do anything wrong, right? Teacher comes up, tells you, Hey, uh, we have a couple of kids uh, uh, been causing disruptions in the class, and we have a couple of kids been stealing lunch money. Oh, I hope you get them. Well, we're pretty sure one of them is your son. Oh, no, it can't be. can't be. I give him money every morning. Not my boy, not my little Johnny. How many of you have heard that one? Am I the only one? When I would go to Mayfield High School because... Uh, Principal Ogus would call me. I knew exactly which daughter it was. And when I would get there, she was fuming. Dad, why do they always catch me? I go, because we dedicated you to the Lord. And I told Mr. Ogus, you call me every time. And he loved calling me, I tell you that. Notice that she says, may you be blessed by the Lord, my son. So what is wrong with the picture? In one hand, you place a curse on your son. Then on the other hand, uh, because he returned the money, you ask blessings on him. And notice verse 3. So when he had returned the 1,100 shekels of silver uh, to his mother, his mother said, I had wholly dedicated the silver from my hand to the Lord, my son, uh, to make a carved image and a molded image. Now, therefore... I will return it to you. She's going to give him 200 bucks or 200 shekels of silver to make these images. Real quick, uh, turn back to Exodus chapter 20, verses 3 to 6, the first of the Ten Commandments of the Lord. And so where do they pick up this? I mean, when Moses was getting the law up in the mountain and when he came down with the tablets of the law, they had erected a molten calf. And then he quickly, you know, well, the guy, everybody told him it was Aaron. Aaron said, no, I don't know how it happened. 
we put the gold in, in, in the fire, and then poof, there's this perfect calf. Come on, Aaron, get it together. Look at Exodus chapter 20. Look at verses 3 to 6. The first of the Ten Commandments of the Lord. Verse 3, you shall have no other gods before me. Small g, this is the first commandment. In verse 4, you shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them, nor serve them, for I, of the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children of, of the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me. In verse 6, but showing mercy to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandment. This is the second commandment, verses 4 through 6. It doesn't tell us what form of images and figurines they made, but they would take this wood image, carve it out accordingly, melt down the silver, and then they would make like plates out of it, and then kind of, I want you to think of aluminum foil for us, and then they placed it around. But the fact remains, what about the book of Exodus? What about the law? You were not to do this. And so here's the children of Israel, and here's the mom. Oh, blessed be my son. Wait a minute, you cursed them the day before. Let's go back to our text now. Look at verse 4. Thus he returned the silver to his mother. Then his mother took 200 shekels of silver and gave them to the silversmith, and he made it into a carved image and a molded image, and they were in the house of Micah. Now, the fact that they're in the house of Micah, the commentaries considered that they were house figurines. They were house idols. In other words, they wouldn't be at the temple or at the tabernacle. But actually, it, it shows us that Micah had a little shrine in his midst. He had a shrine in his household. And can I remind you that Micah, his name is, who is like Jehovah? You need to live up to your name. He broke the law. Uh, look at verse 5 now. The man Micah had a shrine and made an ephod and a household items. And he consecrated one of his sons to become his priest. What are you doing? Now the ephod was the outer garment uh, that the high priest wore. And it was only the work of the Levites. And they had to have been uh, through Aaron's lineage. He makes this ephod. Now I'm going to give you a reason why I think he made it. Uh, he dedicated his own son uh, and to the images, made him a priest, uh, made this ephod. Back in Judges chapter 8, Gideon took a decisive victory over the Midianites. The people said, rule over us. And Gideon said, no, but asked for some of the gold for the spoils. And he made an ephod and he hung it in the city of Ophrah as a reminder. And the Israelites worshipped. And they came to worship. They would come and idolize that ephod. He wasn't supposed to do that. It got him into a lot of trouble. Now, we've shared this before. I'm going to give it to you again. There were basically three types of worship of idols uh, in, in the time of the, the Israelites. Number one, Baal worship. He was the god of the intellect, the god of philosophy. And all these gods that I mentioned, they're vain, they're empty, they're futile, they're statues. Remember uh, Psalm 115, Psalm 135? You worship these things. They have eyes they can't see. They have a nose and they can't smell. They have ears, etc., etc. And yet they continue to do it. The second one that usually was worship was mammon worship. And mammon worship was the god of money, the god of filthy lucre the God of power and might. Now, when you see these three types of, of idol worship, from there derived many other idols. But these were the main characters, if you may. And so Baal worship, and then Mammon worship, uh, thirdly, Molech worship, the God of pleasure. He was the God of immoral sex. And we can see it today. But it was even then. 
He was the God of abortion. The little Molech God was in a sitting position made out of iron with his arms stretched out. On the bottom of it, there was an opening where they would heat it. And the Israelites would come along and, and put one of their sons there or one of their daughters as an offering. What is abortion? But an offering because of having sexual pleasure outside of marriage. 57 million, they're saying. Unbelievable. Now, when we speak of idol worship, when we speak of idols, listen, Pastor Bob, I have some idols at, at the house, but, you know, I don't worship idols. And so when we speak about tradition, especially uh, in our New Mexico state, and especially in our Hispanic culture, tradition is very deep. Well, you know, my grandmother did it, and her mom did this. We have always worshipped this way. Will this hold up? when we stand before our maker on judgment day? It's always been a question that I've asked. So let's go back to our text. Now look at verse 6. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. That's been the theme in the book of Judges. There was no rulership. And so everybody did that which was right in your own eyes. Isn't that the concept today? Hey, you can't tell me what I can do with my body. You can't tell me what I can do. If, if I want to get married with this one, if I want to get married with that one, if I want to go to bed with this one, if I want to hang out with, you know, you know the scenario. Then you call yourself a Christian. This is what's happening uh, in the time of the judges. They were, everybody did that which was right in your own eyes. Just because it's right in your eyes doesn't make it right in God's eyes. The law is the law. Test it. Next time the police pull you over for speeding. In my eyes, I wasn't speeding. Let's go, buddy. You're gone. The law is the law. Now, I want you to turn here, leave a marker, and go to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Listen to what... Paul has to share. Now, in verse 6 again, here was the theme we spoke of in the book of Judges. This is the insight we get to the moral degeneracy of Israel at the time. Rather than being ruled by God, they did what was right in their own mind, in their own heart, in their own soul. It was considered a period of anarchy. And what is anarchy but a time of chaos, a time of disorder? A time of sin. And didn't God bring a flood when the sin of the people had reached his nostrils? Didn't God destroy Sodom and Gomorrah and three other cities? Well, that was Old Testament, Pastor Bob. You know, people need to take heed uh, to what the Spirit of the Lord is saying. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 9, Paul warned in the last days perilous times. Now, I'm going to read out of the New Living Translation just to kind of get the, the crux of it all. In verse 1, you should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times. The King James says perilous times. I like what the caption of my Bible says in the King James, perilous times, listen, and perilous men. The word perilous is dangerous time. For people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents, and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. This is 21st century. This is now. And yet Paul's writing uh, back to Timothy in the first century. Notice verse 3. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. Uh, they will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up, that's pride, puffed up with pride and love pleasure more than God. Is that happening today? You better believe it. Verse 5, they will act religious. 
That's what the children of Israel were doing while we're of the seed of Abraham. So it's easy to act religious. There's a lot of acting of religion in Sunday mornings and churches throughout the nation. I can guarantee that. I can guarantee that. They will act religious, verse 5, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away uh, from people like that. Stay away from those type of people. In verse 6, they are kind who work, uh, they are the kind who work their way into people's homes, uh, win the confidence of the vulnerable women who are burdened with the, the guilt of sin and controlled by various desires. Such women are forever following new teachings, teaching, excuse me, uh, but they are never able to understand the truth. These teachers oppose the truth just as Janice and Jambres opposed Moses. Uh, it's believed that these are the two priests that were in conjunction against Moses when Moses put the staff down and the two priests that laid their staffs down turned into uh, the, the serpents. And yet Moses' staff swallowed them up. It's believed that these were the two. Janice and Jambres, they opposed Moses. They have depraved minds, counterfeit faith, but they won't get away with this for long. Some, but someday, everyone will recognize what fools they are, just as with Janus and Jambres, the Egyptian priests. And we know the logic. We know the adage. Just because you call yourself a Christian doesn't mean you are. But it's those who are truly born again of the Holy Spirit. Those that are truly separated from the world and consecrated unto God. So here's the children of Israel. And listen to moms cry. Oh, blessed be my son. How quick. Now, let's go back to our text. Look at verse 7. Now, there was a young man. Now, pick up on this. From Bethlehem in Judah, of the family of Judah, he was a Levite. And he was staying there. You have to go back into Deuteronomy, and you'll find that there were 40 Levitical cities. Bethlehem was not one of them. It says in verse 8, And the man departed from the city of Bethlehem in Judah to stay uh, wherever he could find a place. Then he came to the mountains of Ephraim, uh, to the house of Micah, as he journeyed. And Micah said to him, Where do you come from? So he said to him, I am a Levite from Bethlehem in Judah. And I am on my way to find a place to stay. Oh, Micah needed to hear that. Micah said to him, dwell with me and be my father and my, and my son. He says, and my priest, excuse me, uh, to me. And I will give you 10 shekels of silver per year, a suit of clothes and your substance. And so the Levite went in. The priesthood, the Levitical priesthood was not supposed to be a priest to somebody uh, personal. He was not to be a priest, you know, because somebody put a shrine in their house. And this guy's a hireling. This 10 shekels was the, the salary in the time. That was the salary at the time. That was a year salary, average pay. And he gets a, a suit. This is pretty good. He throws some shoes or sandals in there. Sounds good. Hey, we're going to feed you too. We're going to set you up. We have a, you know, a mother-in-law house in the back. You can have it. Hey, this guy fit right in. He was wandering. He was looking. He found somebody. Now, <laughs> he says to him, stay with me. Per year, he's going to pay him. Then the Levite was content, verse 11, to dwell with a man, and the young man became like one of his own sons. Micah consecrated the Levite, and the young man became his priest and lived in the house of Micah. I have to ask, does Micah have the authority to consecrate him as a high priest? There was a lot of strict rules in the time of the Old Testament. In verse 13, the conclusion of the chapter then Micah said, now I know that the Lord will be good to me since I have a Levite as a priest. 
the priesthood belonged to God and not to Micah. Now, one commentary hit it right on the head. He wanted him for personal prosperity. Okay, I got a priest in my house. He's a Levite. I got these little shrines going for me. I mean, it's perfect. I was kind of thinking, should I build these this little shrine? Should I build this molten uh, image? Should I have the figurines? And should I make this ephod? Now, here's the answer. It must be so. Because here's the Levite. Well, listen, the Levite is even worse than you, Mr. Micah. Sin loves sinners. And sin is going to follow the lead. And so now, in Judges chapter 18, the Danites are going to adopt Micah's idolatry. It's sad enough when we sin, and then I share it with others, and then they sin along with me. I've seen it. You've seen it. Oh, come on. It says, don't be, don't be, don't be drunk with wine. Be filled with the Spirit. You're filled with the Spirit. I've seen you drink 5,000 cases of beer. You don't get drunk. You're cool. You know? I, hey, I, I know all the cliches. Trust me. Hey, I saw you weaving. No, no, no. There was a, there was a cat on the road. You keep hitting, the, hitting those bumps. Well, I, I want to make sure that they put bumps. You know, people, um, I'm teaching you all my secrets from the old days. Judges chapter 18, in verse 1. In those days, there was no king in Israel. And in those days, the, the tribe of the Danites was seeking an inheritance for its own to dwell. And for until that day, their inheritance among the tribes of Israel had not fallen to them. What happened to the tribe of Dan? They could not defeat the Philistines. And they could not defeat the Amorites. They were surrounded by them. And the Philistines were out of Ashdod, Ashkelon, and then from Gaza. Why? Because of sin. The Danites found themselves in Eshkol, a small valley about 20 miles from Jerusalem. This is what happens when they disobey God. Remember we shared in Deuteronomy chapter 27, uh, the curses. If you don't obey God, there's curses that are pending. In Deuteronomy chapter 28, if you obey God, there's blessings that are pending. And some of you that have been Christians long enough, you know when you're obedient, you know when you're doing the will of God, you know that when you're following God, He's going to bless you. And then you find those times when you're not following the will of God, you're not doing what the Scriptures say, and then all of a sudden there's curses your way. How many times you hear of a believer that says, I know why this is happening to me. I need to get right with God. Sometimes God, you know, knocks on our chamber door and he gives us warning, ample warning, and it's up to us. I mean, it's there. All we got to do is turn it around and follow the Lord. But listen to what's going on here with the children of Israel. And verse 2, so the children of Dan sent five men of their own family from their territory, men of valor, from Zorah and Eshol uh, to spy out the land and search it. And they said to them, go search the land. They were farmers, the Danites, and they needed good land for farming. And so they went to the mountains of Ephraim, and they come to the house of Micah, and they lodged there. And you're going to see what takes place now. While they were at the house of Micah, they recognized the voice of the young Levite. They turned aside and said to him, Who brought you here? And what are you doing in this place? What do you have here? One of the commentaries said, If you were a Levite, you had a certain speech. It's like Peter. They knew he was a Galilean, if that's the case. Or did they know him from another Another time and they recognize the voice. I don't know. But the Bible says they recognize his voice. And right away they're asking, what are you doing here? Because he was a Levite, a priest from God, 
Not a priest for man. Not a priest for man. Look at verse 4. He said to them, thus, and so Micah did for me. He has hired me. Listen, he's not ashamed of it. And I have become his priest. Really? You have become his priest, his personal priest. <laughs> this is nothing but a hireling, excuse me. In verse 5, so they said to him, please inquire of God. The Danites are falling right into the trap that we may know whether the journey on which we go will be prosperous. I mean, if the, uh, the Levite priest gives you an okay, it's got to work. It's got to work, right? That's what you're looking for. And so, listen to verse 6. And the priest said to him, go in peace. What else could he tell him? But go in peace, brother. The presence of the Lord is with you. How easy. When you're backsliding, and those that come and inquire of you are backsliding. Yeah, I like this priest. He says, we're going to take the victory. And so, verse 7, so the five men departed, and they went to Laish, and they saw the people who were there, how they dwelt safely in the manner of the Sidonians. They were quiet and secure. There were no rulers in the land who might put them to shame for anything. They were far from the Sidonians. And so they were not with their people, and they had no ties with anyone. Historically, we know that the people of Laish lived carelessly. That's what all the commentaries tell us, all the historical writing. They were not part of the trade routes, but were close to the waters of the River Jordan, and that's what the Danites wanted. The Danites were farmers by trade. Uh, they took the land for themselves uh, to prosper. Now, these people were part of the Sidonians. They were an evil group. But they were not hooked with them. They were separated from them. Or else most likely they could not have taken them. Or taken Laish. Now here's another interesting point. God allows these things. God allows these things. And we've studied that in time past. And we might respond when I'm you know, in sin. And I'm getting away with it. And I say well God is allowing me. There's a season for that. Be careful. It's called the grace of God. It's called the grace of God. And sooner or later, you're going to be held accountable. The Bible says, for much is given, much more is required. Now notice in verse 8, then the spies came. They came back to their brethren at Zorah and Eshtol. And their brethren said to them, what is your report? And they said, Arise, let us go up against them. For we have seen the land, and indeed it's very good. It's very lush. The waters are there. Would you do nothing? Do not hesitate to go and enter to possess the land. This has to be of God. We see it, that it's of God. And so they begin to believe it. Now, God is going to allow them to do it. You know, we can look at Isaiah 55, verse 8. My ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts, saith the Lord. God allows us to do things sometimes. He allows us to get our way sometimes. And then we think because we're getting away with it, it's okay. There's going to be a day of reckoning. That's all I can say. When and where, I don't know. But there's going to be a day of reckoning. In verse 10, when you go, you will come to a secure people in a large land, for God has given it into your hands, a place where there is no lack of anything that is on the earth. It was very fertile ground, and the waters were there. And so the Danites being farmers, I mean, they're chomping at the bit. This is what we want. Notice in verse 11, they take 600 men of the family of the Danites, uh, went from there, to, from Zorah and Eshel, armed with weapons of war. Then they went up and they encamped at, in Kerdeth, Jerem, in Judah. Therefore, they call that place Manaen Dan to this day. The camp of Dan, that's the Hebrew. There is west of 
of Kerjath-Jerim. Kerjath-Jerim is the area of Judah. In verse 13, and they passed from there to the mountains of Ephraim, and they came to the house of Micah. Now watch this. Micah's images are there. Micah's figurines are there. The ephod is there. And the Levite is there. And so look at the next verse, verse 14. Then the five men who had gone to spy out the country of Laish answered and said to their brethren, Do you know that there are in these houses an, an, an ephod, a household of idols, a carved image, and a molten image? Now, therefore, consider what you should do. They're thinking. We got 600 guys. Hey, we need the blessing if we're going to follow through with this. Verse 15 says, So they turned aside and they came to the house of the young Levite man in the house of Micah, and they greeted him. They see the figurines. So that gives me an indication and gives you an indication that a lot of people in Israel were doing this. It was a norm. I'm not the only one, Micah's thinking. And maybe somebody else had their own priest. Oh, if Micah got a priest, I want a priest. Uh, people are funny. They get caught up into this. In verse 16, uh, the 600 men armed with their weapons of war who were of the children of Dan stood by the entrance of the gate. Watch this. At uh, Micah's house. And then the five... Uh, men who had gone to spy the land went up, entering there, listen to this, they took the carved images, or the carved image, and the ephod, and the household idol, and the molden image. The priest stood at the entrance of the gate with the 600 men who were armed with weapons of war. Well, we have gone on our side now. And we've taken all of Micah's Little shrines. They're ours now. We're 600 strong. What does Micah have? Micah's going to try, but he's not going to get very far, is he? Notice now, in verse 18, when uh, these went into Micah's house and took the carved image, the ephod and the household items, and the molded image, the priest said to them, what are you doing? This is my job. I, I work for, you know, Kmart, Walmart, whatever it is. You guys are taking my job here. He's giving me 10 shekels a, a year. Hey, look at it. I get a coat, too. I got some floor shines on. Sandals. Sandals, okay. <laughs> look at verse 19. And they said to him, be quiet. I like that. This is a Levitical priest, and I'm going to give you the vernacular of today. Shut up. He's a priest. I'm supposed to treat him like that. He says, and they said to him, be quiet. Put your hand over your mouth and come with us. Be a father and a priest to us. It is better for you to be a priest, listen to this, to the household of one man, or that you be a priest to a tribe and a family of Israel. Hey, this guy just got out of Bible college. He's already got a paying job. And now... He's going to a bigger church. This guy's got it made. Hey, Micah, this other guys, the Danites are going to give me a 401k. I'll see you later. Notice now, in verse 20, so the priest's heart was glad, and he took the ephod and the household idol, idols, that is, and the carved image, and took his place among the people. There was nothing for him to switch sides quickly. Poor Micah. I treated you so well. You jumped ship so quick. In verse 20, then they turned and departed and put the little ones, the livestock, and the goods in front of them. Families went. Families went. And when they were a good way from the house of Micah, uh, the men who were in the house near Micah's house gathered together and overtook the children of Dan. And they called out to the children of Dan. And so they turned around and they said to Micah, what ails you? He says that you have gathered 
to such a company? Oh, he's angry. You can't, you can't deny that. You took my figurines. You took my, my images. And then you took my priest. Come on. Well, it's not going to be easy here. What ails you? Look at verse 25. And the children of Dan said to him, Do not let your voice be heard among us, lest angry men fall upon you and you lose your life with the lives of your household. He already told them to be quiet. Now he's taking it a little further. Be quiet. You better chill out quick. Got some angry dudes here. Listen. In a sense, they have their eyes on your priest. In a sense, they have your eyes on, on your images. And we're 600. How many you got? We're going to Laish for a battle. Micah doesn't have much to say, does he? Notice that he says in verse 26, the children of Israel or the children of Dan went their way. And when Micah saw that they were too strong for him, he turned and he went back to his house. Turn back. Turn back. You know, I could just see uh, he's at, they're at inside the house or right at the entrance of the house. And there's 600 guys at the gate. And could you see the first row of guys? They kind of get their sword and kind of pull it out. Uh-oh. And you hear the, you know. Micah sure changed his tune, didn't he? Well, if you need a priest and you need my figurines, you know, God bless you. Uh, that's not what he said, but he had nothing else to do. The Danites now. And again, as I was studying this, and I've studied it before, everything they did was in error. Why did God allow it? The best I can answer for you is the answer I get for myself. Why does God let me get away with what I get away with? I want you to think about it. Now, we're so quick. Lord, did you see that? She did it again, Lord. Get her. We're, we're, that's the Christian. We shoot our wounded, that's what they say. The grace of God, church, the grace of God. And so verse 27, and so they took the images, or they took the things Micah had made, and the priests who had uh, belonged to him, and they went to Laish, uh, to the people quiet and secure. And they struck them with the edge of the sword and burned the city with fire. There was no deliverer because it was far from Sidon. And they had no ties with anyone else. It was in the valley that belonged to Beth Rohab. So they rebuilt the city and they dwelt there. Now, the Sidonians were a harsh people. But this was a little group, a little cell. And they had no power, no strength. And the Sidonians were far away from them. And so before you, you could do anything, they were conquered. And they were burned down to the city. Notice verse 29. And they called the name of the city Dan. And Dan is still the name today. And again, why did God allow it? After the name of Dan, their father, who was born to Israel. However, the name of the city formerly was Laish. Listen to the commentary. They were victorious. They called the place Dan. They ended up in the upper parts of the Hula Valley, which is very lush and profitable today, where the headwaters of the Jordan come down from Mount Hermon. They changed the name of Laish to Dan uh, and, and called the river Jordan, which means out of Dan. And it's a beautiful setup when you think about it, church. In verse 30, then the children of Dan set up for themselves the carved image. And Jonathan, the son of Gershon, the son of Manasseh, and his sons were priests of the tribe of Dan until the day of the captivity of the land. Jonathan was this priest. That was his name. In verse 31, so they set up for themselves Micah's carved images or carved image, which he had made in all the time uh, that the house of God was in Shiloh. Shiloh is about 80 miles away. 
they carved the image, the, the carved image, listen to me. It was not of Baal. It was not of Molech. It was not of mammon worship. They were in their minds worshiping the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Did they forget, as we read, Exodus chapter 20, verses uh, 2 through 6, as we read earlier? The same goes today. And that is, people say, I, I don't worship idols. I have a picture of Jesus. I have a statue of Jesus. Can I honestly ask you, what does Jesus look like? Well, he's right there. He's on the wall. Really? Show me a scripture where we know what Jesus looked like. Because according to Isaiah chapter 53, he wasn't, you couldn't recognize him. He was unrecognizable. In the shrouded Quran is that Jesus. There's a lot of people that say yes, a lot of people that say no. And still again, doesn't have the face, has a, has a silhouette, if you may. But what does Jesus look like? You have blonde hair? Most of your pictures do. Does he have red hair? Other pictures do. Or is he from South Central L.A. and he's got a nice fro? I'm serious. I've seen them. I've seen them. Same ones that make Elvis, they make the Jesus. I'll tell you. Now, they were in their minds, listen to me, worshiping the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That doesn't make it right. The people, I've heard this for the time that I've been a believer. I don't have a statue of Jesus. I have a picture of Jesus. But what does he look like? Let's add this a little more. Yeah, I have a picture of his mom. I have a picture of Mary. I have a statue of Mary. I have a statue of Joseph. Then in our culture, in the Hispanic culture, I have a statue of St. Jude, St. Teresa, and the list goes on. Not here to hurt anybody's feelings or step on any toes. But why do we worship these things? Those who worship God must worship Him in spirit and in truth. That's what the Scriptures declare. Back in John chapter 4, I believe it's verse 26 or verse 24. Go back and study that. Jesus at the well, the Samaritan woman. Now, in our culture... We have so much tradition that it sometimes it overrides, listen, the scriptures. It overrides the scriptures. When people would ask me when I was first looking at the scriptures, why do you have a you know, statue of Jesus? Because. Why do you have a statue of Mary? Because. Why do you worship Mary? Well, sometimes Jesus is busy. That's what we were told. Now, tradition is very tough to beat, but only the Holy Spirit can do it. What have we been studying in the Gospel of John? The tradition of the Jews. This is what we've done. This is what we've always done. And, and you know, the, you have to have the Shabbat. You have to have Saturday worship. Well, what if I choose Sunday worship? What if you choose Saturday worship? I mean, it goes both ways. I mean, people get so caught up into things. Now, I'm going to give you a little bit of, of study concerning the word saints. Because when you come to saving grace, you are a saint. And I like what Pastor Raw used to tell us all the time. If you're not a saint, you're an ain't. A saint is not somebody with a halo. A saint is not somebody uh, that walks around very pious and folded hands. That's not a saint. Listen, the word saint is the word hagios uh, in the Greek, and it means sacred. That's it. But let me take it a little bit further. 
It speaks of being sacred, of physically, pure, morally blameless, or religious. And again, we don't like the term religious. Ceremonially consecrated to God now. People that have been separated from the world are now consecrated to God. Those are saints. People that have been separated from the world and now consecrated to God. That's a saint. That's a saint. The definition of a saved one, the definition of a born-again one, the definition of a regenerated one. These are all saints. And it's tough. It's tough because of our culture. It's tough because of our background. Generally, they wait five years or more, and they really test that person, man or woman, and they test all the miracles, signs, and wonders that they were a part of before they even consider calling them a saint. Now, I'm going to leave you with these verses. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. Secondly, in Colossians chapter 1, verse 2. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 1. In Romans chapter 1, verse 7. And there were so many more, but that's all I was going to give you tonight. Paul, in greeting these brothers and sisters in the various churches, the church at Ephesus, the church at Colossae, the church at Philippi, and the church at Rome. In those verses that I gave you, Paul greets the saints at these various churches and many other churches that Paul was part of. If you're born again of the Holy Spirit, you're a saint. And it's hard because of our culture. It's hard because of our family, friends, and loved ones. And so I don't go back home and tell people I'm St. Bob. They're just not going to buy it. They're just not going to buy it. But I want you to see what the scriptures are. A saint is one that is separated from the world and now consecrated to God. Now consecrated to God. Please, don't go home and go tell grandma, hey, grandma, I'm a saint. You're going to give her a heart attack. They just don't understand. The blinders were there. The only one that can remove it is the Holy Spirit. Trust me, I went through all these scriptures and I found out that Jesus had brothers and sisters. When I found out Mary had other children, it, it frustrated me because I, we were never taught that. Listen to this. When I found out that the Pope I'm sure he's a godly man. But the Pope needs to be born again just like anybody else. Just like anybody else. 